Welcome to the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. I'm Sean Aylmer. The shift towards renewable energy comes with its own challenges. Some of them are at the beginning of the energy life cycle, like ensuring we have enough lithium to meet the demand for batteries, but others are at the end, like figuring out what to do with solar panels that have reached their use-by date. There's an opportunity here for Australia's solar sector to lead the way in the circular economy. Rob Jell am is the Executive Director of Rethink Sustainability and is on the advisory board at the Solar Recovery Corporation. Rob, welcome to Fear and Greed. Nice to be here, Sean. I want to get into solar, but before we do that, can we talk about the circular economy? Off air, we were just discussing, I was, I was running late because I was sort of rousing on one of my kids for not recycling. And you just made the comment that it's recycling needs to be thought of a little bit differently. Yeah, we actually need, we need to make sure we actually use the word as it's designed. So it's got this word cyclic in it, which means things going around in a circle. All too often our recycling, and you've heard this, Sean, people say, I'm going to put my Coke bottle, my PET bottle, my whatever, in that recycling. No, that's a box of recyclables. They may or may not be recycled. And we need to make sure that, for example, plastic that we put into the recycling is, in fact, recycled. So we need to, we've got to fundamentally improve our capacity to put that plastic back into the same cyclic system. Putting it in a road base, burning it for energy, they are really low value uses for plastic. That's not recycling, that's just, that's that's a linear pathway. Uh, Ah, yeah. So it's maybe getting a second use but it's not putting them into a cyclic system. So we're getting a little bit better. We're not bad with glass. We're much better with aluminium. We used to collect aluminium cans. You know, we used to, you know, kids collect cans and get a couple of cents from them. They used to be sent overseas. We actually didn't have the capacity (laughs) to actually recycle them here. And it was still cheaper for Alcoa to make a beer can out of virgin aluminium than to use recycled aluminium at a 14-fold saving in energy. Wow. The real value of recycling nowadays is is in the energy budget that's managed better by the process. So, for example, in the decade up to 1990, the Americans put enough aluminium into landfill to rebuild the entire commercial airline fleet 25 times over. Wow. Now, if you consider, I mean, aluminium manufacturers, that's like liquid energy. It uses so much energy to make aluminium, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So when you hear some people say, oh, yeah, I bought my, uh, you know, bottled water is one of my pet hates, right? So people say, oh, it's okay, the PT is recyclable. Of course it is. But the manufacture of a kilogram of PET produces 2.4 kilograms of carbon dioxide in its manufacture. You don't get that back. That's in the atmosphere. Yeah, yeah, right? yeah. So unless we put it back in, and we can save some if we turn PET back into PET, but frequently we don't. We turn it into, you know, pegs or, I don't know, some other mixed plastic thing where we get another use before it ultimately breaks down or goes gets discarded or goes in a landfill, goes into some other product. We, we actually need to properly value the resource. And if I use the PET example, if, for example, we had a price on carbon, we wouldn't do that anymore because the, the cost of the good would be too high. And we'd say, wow, that's put too much of an extra cost on my bottle of Coke. Yep. I'm not going to do that anymore. 
I'm paying for the emissions of the manufacturer. So we, we really do need to elevate our discussion about recycling. And that's what we try to do with, with the Solar Recovery Corporation. Take the discussion from waste and recycling into circular economy. So we properly value the materials and not only the materials themselves, but also the energy that's embodied in them in their manufacture. And we've got to we've got to keep that into a cyclic system. Is it possible to do that without financial incentives, i.e. a carbon tax or something else? Well, let's call it a carbon price, if, yep. you, if I may. If you go to fundamental economic theory and you search externalised costs, the type example economists will give you is pollution. Yeah. Right? So this is, this is a byproduct of manufacture. Everybody shares the cost except the manufacturer. Yeah. Right? So yeah. a carbon price is about internalising that cost so we don't pollute. Yeah. Right. So that our air quality is better and so that we can recover resources properly and so that we don't contaminate our landfills and our water bodies and fill up the oceans with plastic. So, I mean, the whole climate issue, it's not an environmental issue. It's an economics issue. Yeah. And we need to understand we need market mechanisms like properly pricing pollution, properly pricing contamination, properly pricing the pollution that kills people because of air quality, apart from it's not just about this summer's a bit warmer than last summer and we've got some floods in Lismore or whatever. There are multiple issues that we need to manage and we need to identify what the reason is and we need to financially penalise that. That's the incentive. The incentive is not to spend money on the product that's got an embedded climate impact in it. Go and buy something else. Yep. Get some water out of the tap. So that's what the market mechanism is designed to do. Stay with me, Rob. We'll be back in a minute. My guest this morning is Rob Gell, AM, from the Solar Recovery Corporation. So let's talk about solar because for many years, I mean, as I grew up, solar was the future. And it does seem that there's been a huge uptake in Australia over the past couple of decades that we just don't seem to talk about it as much now because things like green hydrogen that seem to get all the headlines, is solar still one of the big parts for us getting to net zero? Absolutely. Can I also just say net zero is probably not going to be good enough to stop my granddaughter from getting very, very hot either. She's only seven. Yeah, right. We need to think about climate zero. So we have to do everything we possibly can. So we need to produce lots and lots of renewable energy, there's new wave energy project in uh, southeastern King Island. It's just been looking okay, producing about, I think, 200 megawatts around a little town for 12 months. We need all the solar we can get. We need all the wind we can get. We rapidly need to develop green hydrogen from wind and solar, transported as ammonia. So transportable fuels are going to be really important as well. We need all those things. But we also need to rapidly reduce our demand. We've actually got to make out, I mean, our houses in Australia are pathetic. You go to California, you can't buy single glazing that we put in our houses. They did that in 1972, changed their building codes, and they've had more or less flat emissions in California, the sixth biggest or seventh biggest economy in the world. They've had flat emissions profile since 1972. Wow. Because they, yeah, because they made their houses more efficient. Yeah. So we've actually got to reduce our demand. It's all very well to start producing renewables. We've actually got to stop 
putting the stuff in the atmosphere. So we, we, we've got to massively change the way we operate. Okay. Now, we do need to get onto the Solar Recovery Corporation. So it, it does exactly what it says, Solar Recovery Corporation. Is it a major problem? Because many of those solar panels that people have had on their roofs and things like that must be coming to the end of life. They are. In Australia, we don't quite know how long they're going to live either. Our oldest solar farm in Australia is the Greener River in West Australia. It's 2012. So that's about 10 years old. In Europe, they've got much older solar farms. They started this whole process. We, we went in Australia. You're right. Everybody's gone, wow. And we're the, we've got the biggest uptake of residential solar in the world per capita. It's like, it's like 3 million residential right. rooftops and, and still going off scale. So people at home are working it out because the cost of electricity is so yeah. high. So it's, well, why wouldn't I? And the price of panels is coming down. Oh, okay. I can pay this off. This works. I can do that. I can do the numbers on that. So our early panels, there's, we know there are panels going to landfill. We know there are panels going to West Africa, but we actually don't have any schemes for identifying where they are. So we don't know that serial number on that panel that was bought in, say, 2002 and stuck on a house that's now 20 years old. Oh, someone took it and dumped it in the landfill five years ago. We, don't, we haven't got those systems, but we need to develop that. That's product stewardship or extended producer responsibility. We're developing those systems. The previous federal government had a product stewardship program in place. The new federal government is extending that. So we know that in Australia, panels, sometimes they're dead by the time they're installed and they get replaced. Where do those one or two go? Some of them in, in Australia are damaged by hailstorms, mm-hmm. by big storms, particularly up in Queensland. We know that in some cases, insurance companies say, well, we're not paying for some blokes to go around and work out which are the crook ones, take them all off and replace them with more efficient ones because we're more concerned in generating the energy that we're selling. So where do they all go? I mean, there's a solar farm we know of in Queensland that's taking between one and 2,000 off each year. Wow. Right? And we also think that in Australia, we've got problems with humidity, particularly up in second, you know, top end of Queensland. So we really don't know how long they're going to live. They're better quality now than they were 20 years ago. We know that the ones in Europe lived about some less than 10 years, some 12 to 15, some a bit longer. So we're kind of waiting to see. But we know 12 gigawatts in New South Wales by 2030, which was Matt Keane's target, is about 400 million panels. Right. Right? It's a lot lot of panels. We need to do it, but we need to put processes in place so we get the valuable stuff that's in those panels back. Now, when we set this business up, our founder found this really good technology out of Italy from a couple, believe it or not, a couple of guys that were working out how to delaminate car windscreens because of the value of the glass. Ah, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they said, oh, okay, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. There's other Solar panels have got other cool stuff in them that's really valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like copper, a bit of silver, and aluminium. Okay, let's do that instead. So that's what they've done, and they've now got a technology that without crushing and heating and chemicals and nasty stuff, gets in excess of 99% of all those materials back. Now, we thought we were going to be able to get, you know, maybe 20 bucks in materials back from each panel, which is good, good business. But with the price of copper, you can triple that. Wow. The important thing to understand here, and this is what the Europeans got back in 2013, a thing called the, the, the WE Directive, W-E-E-E. 
and it's the wireless and electrical. And they said, oh, gee, we're really worried about where this stuff, this old stuff's going, this old e-waste is going. It's going to foreign countries and the work conditions are poor and we don't want to be involved in that and this kind of modern slavery and a whole bunch of ESG concerns. But more importantly, now that we've bought these metals, we actually need to keep them here because they're really valuable. Yeah, yeah. We really need to keep them. So we're talking, for example, there's a company, it's a spin-off out of University of New South Wales, a company called SunDrive, great company, and they want to build solar panels here in Australia, want to man- manufacture them here. And they've found us and they're saying, we need your materials coming directly out of the panels you're recovering. We've done the calculations on the energy flows. If we're going to keep the world under two degrees, we need to have so many solar panels. If we re-refine metal alloys, there's an energy cost in that that's going to contribute to climate change. We need to get the metal alloys and plastics and glass and copper and stuff that you're recovering straight into new solar panels to keep the cost down and efficiency up. That is a circular economy. That is a circular economy. So, And that's what we have to think about. We have to think about your PET Coke bottle is not a recyclable, it's a resource. Yep. But it's difficult to to recycle that. So, you know, frankly, uh, get a milkshake, you know, <laughs> you know, something else. Rob, we, we are out of time. Thank you very much for talking to us this morning on Fear and Greed. Pleasure, Sean. All the best. That was Rob Jill, AM from the Solar Recovery Corporation. This is the Fear and Greed Daily Interview. Join us every morning for the full episode of Fear and Greed, Australia's most popular business podcast. I'm Sean Elmer. Enjoy your day.